How's it going, everyone? Welcome to another episode of the Crawford Talks. Hope everyone out there is staying safe. I am Jake Kaplan, the Astros beat writer for The Athletic, joined as always by my friend Mike Meltzer. Mike, how are you doing? Jake, I'm doing well. I'm doing well. We're we're getting closer. I have no idea how the, this next month is going to go, but I figure every day, every day that we advance is hopefully better news. Hopefully. It's crazy that it's July already. We're it is crazy. On, on July 2nd. Um, and yeah, to kind of uh, set the stage for the rest of the next few days, I guess, is, you know, we're speaking on Thursday. Players around baseball have been reporting to camps this week. Um, in, the, in the Astros case, there have been players and, and coaches and staff trickling in all week, really, um, to get screened and get their coronavirus testing and then quarantine for a little bit. And then the first official workout uh, is Friday. It will not be as we I think we addressed this in the last episode. It won't be workouts in the traditional sense of a spring training where everyone's together. They will be staggered in smaller groups. So that'll be unique. But uh, yeah, I mean, coming Friday and Saturday and, and Sunday, which the whole summer camp or, or spring training 2.0 should be should be in relatively full swing throughout the game. Do you get the sense that as compared to typically February and March, this is going to be a much more quiet period over the next month or so? I don't know. Um, I guess it depends how you, how you define quiet. Well, yeah, it does depend on how you define quiet because, you know, as we discussed Monday in, in the previous episode, it's not like they're going to be playing games to where you're going to be able to say, you know, it, it, Justin Verlander, who was hurt back in March, you know, went three innings and gave up a run. It's not going to be quite like that. On the other hand, I think the big thing that people are going to be wondering is how many positive COVID-19 tests are there going to be over, you know, every couple days or every week? I think that's probably right. the biggest thing that people will, will, will be wondering. Yeah, I mean, it will be different in terms of like uh, the access to the public, right? Like um, in a normal spring training the media is in the clubhouse every single day, multiple times a day. Yep. And a lot of the games are on TV. All the games are on radio. Um, you know, in this case, it's just, it's really just workouts. So, and, and all the media access will be via Zoom. Um, you know, presumably Dusty Baker every day and, and a couple players every day. Um, that hasn't started yet, but hopefully will Friday. Um, so, yeah, I guess by default it'll be quieter in that sense but there might be like you said like positive test news injury news um where we will get the schedule at some point yes so um, we should get that soon right hopefully i think i think i saw jason stark tweet on wednesday that it wouldn't be till next week at the earliest okay um but yeah i mean uh, i know everyone everyone's hoping for the best in terms of like this screening process and you know, it sounds like it's gone smoothly so far, but I don't know if they would tell us if it hadn't, right? So, um, well, that's the well, that's the thing. Yeah, I, I mean, unless especially with these kind of workouts, you you get the sense that you know, unless people are plugged in like yourself, you know, local reporters, national reporters, like that's how we'll find out where the positive tests are coming from, right? Yeah, I think MLB will announce, like, because you've seen the NHL and I think the NBA and. Yes, and all these college teams like announce like uh, how many tests they've conducted and how many were positive. I think we'll see that in MLB. I, I don't. I, it'll be up to the players to 
decide if they want to announce uh, or, or disclose whether they tested positive or not. Um, otherwise, we may never find out uh, like if certain players got it. But yep. uh, the aggregate number, it sounds like we'll, we'll get periodic updates on that. Um, yeah, and so that's kind of where things stand this week is, is just players coming in, getting screened, and getting the lay of the land a little bit and, and getting ready to, to start these workouts. So as we wait on the schedule, what the COVID-19 situation is going to be and what this summer camp is going to look like, Jake, I came up this week with a number of questions about this Astros season. And it's not particular to 60 games. It's just looking at questions this team needs to answer. This would be the case with 60 games or 162. And I want to go through this because I just think there are big things that this team needs to have answered. And the first one is this. Can Carlos Correa stay healthy and put together a season where he can contend for, let's say, the MVP award? I mean, I'm assuming they're still giving that thing out. And that might be shooting a little bit high at at this moment, but we know the deal with Correa. He has not been fully healthy completed a full season since 2016. I mean, he's been playing in the 100s. Then he, you know, with a weird rib injury situation last year, I still don't know what the hell went on with that. And the masseuse, he played 75 games. He did slash 279, 358, uh, 568. So pretty good overall numbers. But you've always gotten the feeling that if he can just stay healthy and put it all together, that there's no reason why he can't be one of, I don't know, the three or five best players in the league. And that's something that this team lost Garrett Cole. They're not as good as they were in 2019. But I would say this is the one easy area, Correa staying healthy the whole time and playing like Carlos Correa, where they can make up, I know it's not the same position, obviously, but where they can make up talent-wise for the loss of Garrett Cole because of the extra games you would get extrapolating it with Correa. Yeah, you just got me thinking about how muddled all the awards races are going to be this year because it's yeah. such a small sample. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think I think Correa is definitely capable of staying healthy and playing like an MVP candidate for 60 games. I mean, he's played 60 games in a row, <laughs> you know, relatively recently, right? I, I thought you hated these, these 60 game sample sizes. I do, I do, but it's what we got, right? It's we, what we, we can, got. We can only uh, look forward to what we have. So, uh, yeah, I think he's capable. Um, I mean, he especially now that he, you know, like one thing that kind of got lost and how injured he was the last couple of years and how much time he missed the last couple of years is how much better of a defender he's become the last totally couple of years. Totally agree. Like, he's like an elite defensive shortstop, in my opinion. And when he does play, he he racks up wins above replacement. Um, like really quickly because he's a he's playing a premium position. He's playing it really well, and he's producing offensively. So yeah, I think he's definitely you know a sneaky MVP candidate coming into the year. Um, you know it's just a ma- like you said, it's just a matter of him staying healthy and and you know you, we can't really you know we all think we can predict injuries, but an injury risk, but like we really can't. Like it's. It's impossible to predict who's who's going to get hurt, who's going to stay healthy. So, uh, obviously, he hasn't stayed healthy the last three years, but you know, maybe this is the year for him. Yeah, the way I always uh, categorize injuries in my mind are: are they flukish? Are they, or are they ones that are more chronic in nature? I think Correa 
off the top of my head, you have two categories. You've got, you know, the, you know, I think a random like hit by pitch a few years ago. Then you've got, you know, the whatever the hell went on last year with that rib injury. That that seems, I put that in the fluke category. But when Correa was ailing at 23 years old with the back issue two years ago, and A.J. Hinch kept giving, you know, disappointing announcement after disappointing announcement, that's the kind of thing that can really scare a front office and a fan base considering how much they have invested, not monetarily per se, but just as the number one overall pick in Correa. Like, that back thing still still worries me as far as what his long-term is going to be. But when you look at his career situation right now, you know, he's played five years in the major leagues. He's 25 years old. He's going to hit free agency when he's 27. He's got the next year and a half to really put together the kind of resume where who the hell knows what these owners are going to spend in 2022 free agency. That's, that's a major question. But he's playing the next year and a half for what I presume is just a ton of money right now. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and he obviously uh, having a, a young player who has back issues is troublesome. Um, but, you know, we'll see. Like, I'm not ready to, like, count him out for this year just because he's had injuries in the past. Um, I think, uh, you know, he's he. it's definitely, like, there is some flukiness in the previous injuries, like you said. I think the 2017 one was sliding into a catcher at home plate on July in like July 4th. Um, That's right. Yes. In Atlanta. And then, um, yeah, the rib one was crazy weird. Um, the back, <laughs> the back one is the one to worry about, but like, I don't know. He looked great to me in, in limited time in spring training. And, um, now he's had even more time to rest and work out. So, um, you know, I don't see any reasons why why he couldn't stay healthy for a sixty game season. That that's the one story from. I mean, that's the one story in season in twenty nineteen that I wish you and I were doing the podcast about. <laughs> that would have been an emergency episode, right? That would have been an emergency one. Yeah, between just like the re- the the release from the team, which was basically like, "Hey, go talk to Carlos about what the hell happened in this." And I think uh, I I don't think you, but I think a lot of people around town were very skeptical about the explanation about the rib being broken through a massage but i guess that that's apparently what happens so uh, hopefully we don't have to deal with those kind of situations this year number two roberto osuna nobody really talks about this uh jake i think osuna is i would put him in the category of pretty good closer but it's not as though he has been some sort of massive upgrade from Ken Giles. I think he's been an upgrade, but it's not as though they went from shaky, very talented reliever to, okay, well, we can definitely trust this guy. Osuna has had bad playoff moments against the Red Sox in the 2018 ALCS. He was bailed out in game six of the ALCS this past year after he allowed the two-run homer to LeMahieu, the one to right field in in the ninth inning. Granted, he came back and he got, I think, uh, Judge and Torres out the next two batters, which which I credit, credit him for. But he was not all that effective when he came in in game seven of the World Series. And I just think there are some holes with this Osuna situation. And I don't think anybody believes he's the best reliever on this team. He also wasn't great in the Red Sox ALCS, right? Um, yes. Yeah, I I agree. I think um, his his command is not what it was when he was with Toronto. I don't know why, but it's definitely regressed since he was like the all-star Blue Jays closer. Um, I mean, Ken Giles was 
I think objectively better than Osuna last year, right? I'd have to double check the stats, but that that sounds right. I think you might be right. Yes. Um. Yeah. I mean, I think he's good. I I don't think he. I don't know if he's a he's like elite closer. Um. And I do think that you know Ryan Presley might be better. Um. You know, we we can't forget that Presley was was kind of like a non-factor in the second half in the playoffs last year um, because of the injury and injury and affecting his performance. You know, I I would expect him to bounce back since he's healthy now, but um, yeah, I mean, I think it'll, it could, it could quickly become a storyline, you know, in this, in this short 60 game season. But I think if you're Dusty Baker, you also have to weigh like the, you know, how long, how long do you give a guy struggling or, or good one way or the other? Um, because it's such a small sample size, I think that'll be interesting to see, like decision making on a yes. on a small scale like that. Yeah, I agree with you because you know if a guy does have a, a bad season, you can chalk it up to sixty games. On the other hand, humans have this sort of tendency. Well, it's the last thing you saw, and you actually saw it, and so it's hard to overcome that. You make a good point. I, I was you know cross referencing the Osuna Giles stats. I mean, Giles obviously pitching on a, on a far worse baseball team, so he only had twenty three saves compared to. 38. That's more of a Saves. counting stat. What are you looking at? Pitcher, pitcher wins next? Yeah, good point. Uh, Giles <laughs> ERA of 187. Osuna 2.63. Giles's whip was a little bit higher. Uh, I, I, think you're, I think your point is fair. I mean, I also think with Giles, I, 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 I do pressure. think... Yeah, I think Giles is a guy who clearly, with his career, like he does better in less pressurized situations. But I, I can't argue with the, with the other point you, make, you made, Jake, which was, you know, Osuna was a better closer with the Blue Jays than he has been with the Astros. Yeah. Um, and it's also like there's also the weird thing of like the closer mindset versus like there's almost there's more. You could argue there's more value in relievers like Presley or Will Harris who are willing to pitch at any time and comfortable pitching at any time and, and don't need to pitch in closing situations. Right. Like, yeah, Osuna's. Osuna's got that that closer mindset, as did Ken Giles, where they they have to be in that role, um, and that's where they perform best. But often the closer doesn't face the most important hitters of the game, right? I mean, it's the last hitters of the game, but sometimes it's the seven, eight, nine, right? Yep. And and Will Harris has just gotten um, the best hitter in the lineup the previous inning. So um, so yeah, I I think you know kind of the boil down to the question is like I think Osuna's pretty solid in that role but um i think i, I think it would take a, a good amount of struggles for him to to lose that to presley yeah i think so too he, he's clearly the closer but it, it, this is one of those sort of under the radar issues as in okay they traded for him two years ago under shall we say highly controversial um factors high, a highly controversial situation and he hasn't been that good but he's clearly pretty good at what he does but it's almost like all right oh soon as the closer but does the team really trust him and personally, like, I'm just not there yet with Osuna. I think that, the, I mean, I always compare guys to, you know, Mariano in his prime. And because that's just my age and the person I grew up watching, obviously he's nowhere near, you know, that level. So I'm, I'm just very curious to see what Osuna's season. Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty high bar. I, I'm, I'm saying this out loud. I'm like, God, this is ridiculous. Like, this. I, I compare every closer to the best closer of all time in his prime. That's really fair. I guess my my whole thing is like how ultimately with certain guys like the closer, the hockey goalie 
and something else I'm forgetting. It comes down to like how much does the fan base trust that guy? And I don't know if deep in their souls, Astros fans really, really trust Roberto Osuna. That's the best way I will encapsulate my opinion on him. You've got me thinking like we never really I mean, we had like a week to analyze the 2019 playoffs before the sign stealing scandal um, mm-hmm. before the athletic broke that story. And it almost I think that's part of why we probably never talked about this stuff. Right. Because it, it just like everything yes. else became so secondary. But we never really I guess there was like three days there where we, we delved into the Garrett Cole stuff with game seven. But like, I don't know, it was never it never felt like there was enough time to really uh, dissect like the state of the team for that, you know, we only had like seven, eight days before before it became, you know, they the team was engulfed in the biggest scandal in sports. So I, yes. I, that's, that's probably part of why it feels like the Osuna in the closers role is kind of under the radar topic. Yeah, I think you're definitely right that we did not have the the long time period to really go through the wreckage of Game 6 and Game 7 because that story came out, what, a week after Game 7? About a week, week and a half or so? Yeah, it was like in the middle of the GM meetings, which is like, I would say like November 8th-ish. I, I don't know exactly. Yeah, it was pretty quick. Yeah. Third question that I that I have, or you know, third question to be answered for the Astros. What are the the expectations for Lance McCullers? Now, this is where the 60-game season comes in because if it was 162, then we got to talk about, you know, how many innings is is he going to throw? How many starts can you realistically expect? I think it's fair to say with 60 games, Lance pitching 12 starts, assuming he stays healthy, I think is a realistic standard to have out there. But my question is more so, okay, do we expect – McCullers in 2020 to pick up where he left off in 2017 the first half when he was an all-star now I think Jake that Lance has said in different places that he hadn't I guess he had elbow issues I mean obviously Lance has had a number of health issues but I think specifically he's had elbow issues for a while so he made it sound like when he's pitching this year it'll be the first time he's quote-unquote fully healthy in a long time right yeah, I think, and he's also like gone through like an evolution over the years in terms of like mechanics and arm swing and, and delivery, and a lot of that was you know the changes he made in in that time frame, like 2016, 2017, were geared towards keeping him healthy. Um, so I think he'll, yeah, I think he'll be like more comfortable and um, probably as well-rounded of a pitcher as he's ever been because, you know, you know, he's ha- he has the change up now in addition to the curveball. Um, he, he, in spring training, he looked really in sync with his delivery. So yeah, I think you can expect, um, you know, I think he'll, I don't think he'll look the same as he did in the first half of 2017, but I think the results could be really good as they were in the first half of 2017. Yeah, that makes sense. I'm just wondering, like, is it instantly, you know, he comes in and he's the Lance McCullers that people think about, or is there some kind of ramp up period that we're going to see? I guess that's that's really what I'm wondering right now. Like, am you I could, co- you could ask that for every pitcher, though, right? I mean, like, um, we don't know because the, the we don't know what guys have been doing for three months. We don't know what what the ramp up, how how the short ramp up will affect them. So, like, you could say that for Verlander and Grinky too. That's true. I would say Lance comes in with 
the bigger question. I know Verlander had surgery, but you know Verlander's been a horse. Lance has not so far in his career, and I say that respectfully. Like Verlander's, a, he's a he's a very rare breed. So I think Verlander and Granky, like they have more questions about you know age, which we'll get to in in a minute or two. With Lance, it's I also think kind of like Correa, you know, you're getting to the point where so Lance Jake is also a free agent after 2021. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, because he because he's a guy who was he was he's someone who is going to ultimately get four years of arbitration. Um, he's a guy who is pitching for what what his career is going to look like. Same thing with Correa, the next year and a half. Like, is that somebody who the Astros think about re-signing? What is that going to cost? I don't think anybody has any idea in July 2020, you know, what Lance's career is going to look like in 2022. That's not a negative or a positive comment. It's just, I think now it's like, you've seen the talent. You've seen the spikes, the high moments, Game 7, 2017 ALCS, uh, Game 7 of the World Series, kind of, even though he he hit a lot of guys, I think that was kind of by intent. Uh, we've seen those highs, we've seen the lows with the injuries, and he's had Tommy John surgery. Does it give him sort of a clean slate? What does this next stage of his career look like? Yeah, I think that's fair. I think it is a big year and a half for him, or, or less than half now. Um. Yeah, I'm. I'm really curious to see how he looks. Um, I think you know, based on what I saw in spring, um, and the games that they televised, and from watching bullpen sessions while I was there early, he looked pretty good. So, um, you know, I I think he 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 could be he could be quite good this year. My next question is is dovetailing off of that. The Astros, would you say, Jake, are probably the third? Would you say their consensus is the third best team in baseball behind the Yankees and, and the Dodgers in the minds of people? Yeah, I think that's probably. I don't. Uh, yeah, I mean, if you were like to average out everyone's opinions, I think it would be that. But I'm I sure. love averaging out everyone's opinion. <laughs> <laughs> it's one I think of my some, favorite things. There's some people who would probably have them fourth or second, you know, or fifth or you know, even first. I don't know, but uh, yeah, they're somewhere in that range. I'm looking at win totals right now. I, I always get these emails from betting sites. And with the 60-game season, the Dodgers and the Yankees are tied for the highest at 38.5. And, and the Astros are third at 35.5. And, and then after after the Astros is the Twins, 34.5. And, and the Braves, 33.5. So something to just kind of throw on the fire here. Um, so again, win total, 35.5. Yeah. If the Astros... If they, if they are the consensus third-best team, a lot of that banks on Verlander and Greinke being the same pitchers they have been the last couple of years. That the advantage that the Astros have against a lot of these teams is not per se the depth in the rotation, but how high the quality is at the one and two spots specifically. I know we talked about this a decent amount in March, but the same question pops up when the season hopefully begins in three or four weeks here. Is it safe and reasonable to assume that Verlander and Granke have no health issues and pitch like aces? I think that's a big question that looms over this season. Yeah, I think, I mean, I I don't, it's come, coming back to like predicting injuries, you know, I don't know. I mean, you can, I, I don't know who's going to get hurt and who's going to, who's going to, I mean, for that matter, they're playing amid a pandemic. So like, what's everyone's availability going to be like? I, I don't know. Yes. But um, 
Yeah, I think both are still capable, even at their advanced ages, of pitching like aces. Um, Greinke maybe, maybe more of like a number two, number three at this point. Um, but Verlander obviously won the Cy Young last year. He's still an ace caliber pitcher. Um, you know, yeah, I think um, you know Greinke's. You know, Verlander's got the the concern of coming off a surgery and injury. Greinke's got like he wasn't that good as an Astro up until the World Series. And I, I don't know if that means anything going forward because he is Zach Greinke. Yeah. He's, he's really good. He's got elite command, and uh, he's one of the smarter pitchers in the game. And and like he just has so many different weapons. But like you know, I, I kind of think about it here and there. Like he wasn't that good until the World Series after the trade. So there's a little bit of uncertainty there of like which guy you're going to get. I think. No, I think you're I think you're completely right. He was not he was fine. He was fine for the Astros after they acquired him, but it was not it, it was certainly not comparable to what Verlander did 2 years earlier. I think that's safe to say. Yeah, definitely not. Um but I, I was like even even leaving injuries aside, just the the thought of the aging pitcher. Like my old co-host Seth Payne and I would would argue about Verlander sometimes and when we discuss the, the extension and I was fine with the extension obviously I think it made complete sense it wasn't for the Astros it wasn't you know some huge long-term commitment for an older guy obviously but what I thought about is sometimes even the older the horse the ace sometimes it falls apart fairly quickly and I think about Roy Halladay like it feels like he went from unhittable to being on the downside fairly quickly when you look at eight, 10 years ago. I hope that doesn't happen here, but it's something I think just to, just to kind of keep in the back of your mind, especially when so much of this season is going to be based on the idea that this team does have really good starting pitching at the top end of the rotation. Yeah, I mean, I think um, that's obviously the case. Like, you can't pitch forever, but... Um Verlander is kind of almost like his own category in a lot of ways, just based on what he's done uh, in recent years and defied the aging curve. Um, you know, obviously at some point it'll end, right? But um, I don't know. I, I don't think, like, given how good he was last year, um, you know, he was literally either the best or second best pitcher in the AL, depending on where you fell in that Cy Young race. Um, yep. You know, I think he's still got a lot of uh, room in there to keep pitching at a, at a high level. Is anybody going to be affected by the offseason of criticism? We discussed in February what it was like in the clubhouse. And in the clubhouse, not only the day that they came back and did that ridiculous press conference, <laughs> but also yeah, I, think they the should start, I think they should start summer camp with another press conference. Yeah, that's a great idea. Yes. Have Crane lead it. That would be brilliant. Uh, so you you had mentioned how Jose Altuve was a guy who you felt looked like he was pretty affected by the criticism and everything going on. I was listening to when Dusty Baker was on uh, Jason Stark's podcast here on The Athletic. It's called Starkville, right? Right, Jake? Yeah, Jason Stark and Doug Glanville. Great podcast. You should check it out. Very good podcast. They had Dusty Baker on, I want to say, three weeks ago or so. And I listened to it, and Dusty had this story about how <laughs> some kid was yelling into the uh, into the dugout in March, talking about cheaters, cheaters, something along those lines. And apparently, Dusty saw a, a, a tear roll down the cheek of a player. 
And I could I could envision where if I was playing on the 2020 Astros, like that's the kind of thing that that would affect me. Uh, I could see that if some kid was yelling at me and, and impugning my integrity. Uh, but how does that torrent of criticism affect performance this year? Obviously, we are in a much different situation than we were in February, February and March. When they go on the road this year, there aren't going to be fans in the stands booing them. Uh, I don't really have a great sense for how many opposing pitchers are going to start throwing at them either, uh, especially because there are repercussions on that sort of thing, and like fights are banned this year and, and all, all that kind of stuff. But is anybody psychologically affected by everything that's happened in the last four or five months? How do we know if they're affected? I have no idea, but I do think it's an angle and, and a question for this 2020 season. Yeah, I don't, I mean, the, I think a lot of the effect would have come from fan vitriol and we presumably won't see that because, I mean, even if there might be fans in the stands somewhere, right, this year, um, but it won't be full capacity, it won't be close to full capacity if that's allowed in any of these cities. So, yeah, I don't think, I think it's kind of like the the fan aspect of it that everyone's going to talk about in the next few weeks, probably, uh, as it relates to the Astros, is kind of like put on hold in a way, right? Like it's going to, I'm sure they'll still get booed once the fans are back in the stands at full strength. Um, yes full capacity but you know they're they're not so yeah i i think um i i i mean i think these guys um will like they still have the same thoughts that they had five months ago about everything and they still have to deal with all the social media backlash and future fan backlash but but for this year i mean there's no fans in there so they're they're kind of playing in front of a, a quiet stadium let me ask you this. Let's say, again, small sample size of a season. Let's say through like 20 or 25 games, you've got one or two hitters who are hitting like 230 who should be hitting 300. Do you think there will be national talking points like, are these guys actually that good without cheating? Do you think that's going to be a talking point? Probably. I mean, I don't know. What's their OPS with this batting average? Give me, good the, question. Give me the OPS. You want me to, to dive into I've your seen, fancy advanced stats? I've seen some two thirty <laughs> hitters who are still really productive with home runs, That's true. And doubles, and walks. I mean, this is this is the kind of thing. I, don't get me wrong. Like, I, I think the 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 concept is preposterous. Like, I, I don't defend the cheating. It's completely wrong. But I also think like it's it's been a really good baseball team regardless like these are guys who are especially the people we're talking about like they're really good at baseball so if someone got off to a slow start for two or three weeks the last thing i'm thinking about is well geez they they used a trash can in 2017 now they're reaping what they sow yeah like, i just think it would be it would be boiled down to a couple of bad weeks i do too but have you ever heard of this website called twitter.com not very logical. <laughs> I, I would encourage you to go look at every time the Houston Astros official account sends out a new tweet <laughs> uh, and look at the mentions if, if you think that people aren't going to uh, have thoughts like that on, on Twitter.com. Oh, this reminds me of a side question I have. And, and maybe this is a bad job I've been bringing this up now, but uh, I'm sure you've noticed in like these, how should I put it? in these like promotional items that baseball sends out. Like when they have like a, a graphic of like a bunch of like the, the no big Astros stars. Players. 
no Astros. When do you think that? When do you think it would be okay for them to put an Astros player on those promotional items? I don't know. I ha- I've noticed that, but I wasn't sure if it was just me imagining it. You know, because it's not just you. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. It's I should probably explore that as a story idea. I mean, there's there's that is absolutely by design. Like if you if you look at those promotionally, and this could be, I think it's from the MLB Twitter official Twitter account, but I think it's more than that. Like other places as well. Like they're not putting any Astros in there, and I'm wondering when that would possibly change. Like, is that a, a two or three year window? What the hell are we looking at here? Yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, and who's what? Yeah, I would I would like to hear more about the like the the decision making there. I again, something I should probably pursue for a story idea. <laughs> That's what I, that's what I provide once in a while, once every three months. If I can give Jake a good story idea, I feel like I'm doing well. <laughs> Next question. Now, this might be a bit of a stretch, but it, but it is something I'm curious about. Jordan Alvarez was kind of a disaster uh, in the postseason. Now, I had no issue with AJ Hinch continuing to put him in the lineup because I'm a big fan of that philosophy. Like he's a really talented hitter, and my philosophy, like George Springer in 2017, I don't care how much a dude is struggling, you keep adding him. Period. End of story. Uh the point, though, is Alvarez, not good in the postseason. Very pressurized circumstances, elite pitching, uh, all that kind of good stuff. But he was not the same player in October as he was in the regular season, where his OPS was over one, 27 homers, 78 runs driven in. Is there any concern, Jake, that the struggles in the postseason have revealed some sort of hole in Alvarez's swing or game that might reveal itself more in 2020 i'm trying to think back to like what it's been so long since the postseason i forget like well, it, what it how they like pitched him yeah <laughs> i feel like i i wrote about this in october like how pitchers were attacking him and and now i can't remember exactly how they were attacking him but yeah i think it was a bunch of things like i think first of all he's a young player who had never played that deep into a year before or he had never played a full minor league season, I don't think, before. Like he was, yep. he, he battled a lot of injuries in the minors, so I think fatigue was probably a factor. Um, you know, he was really good. He was incredible in the regular season, but let's not forget that a lot of his opponents were not very good. Um, the Astros played a lot of bad AL teams in the regular season, and in the postseason, they're playing the best teams. And game planning and attention to detail is heightened in the postseason. Um, so yeah, I think it was all those factors. I think, uh, they probably did find something in a swing too. Um, but I don't think it's anything he can't correct. I think he's like, we forget how young he is and how, I mean, he, he's like been in stateside for like three years max. Yeah. Like he, he's still got a lot of developing to do. Um, so yeah, I think it was like a combination of factors, but I don't long term like given how good he was last year and how, prodigious his power is and and even his contact rate uh for a guy his size like i i think he'll be fine yeah i think he'll be fine too again i know you don't love batting average it's not a great stat i i don't know if he's gonna hit 313 again this year that that seems a little bit lofty but i I just think it's something to something something to consider yeah kind of a random it's just something to think about that now you know these teams have had an offseason to look at how the Rays and the Yankees and maybe the Nationals to a slightly lesser degree were pitching Alvarez it's always a game of adjustments back and forth with young hitters we all understand that what does 2020 look like for Alvarez 
Um, I think I think it's something to it's something to be to keep an eye on as we head into the regular season. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Um, you know, and it is pretty interesting too because it's a sixty game season because every game is worth two point seven games. Will the attention to detail and game planning kind of mirror a postseason? You know, in some ways. Um, Very good points. So, well, especially with how they use these pitchers, you know, out of the bullpen, especially early in the season, like. I mean, you would figure there's going to be there's going to be more managing going on. And the Astros, for example, would not be able to use their strategy the last couple of years of like, hey, we're going to, you know, hold off, hold off with guys who are injured and wait a while. We're going to play the long game. There is no long game this year. It's the short game. Right. Yeah, it's a good point. Like they they because their division lead was was and they, they projected that their division lead was safe, like they could afford to play play it safe with a lot of their they're in, injured when their star players were rehabbing. Like, you know, a lot of those times, like George Springer last year, he looked ready long before he came back. You know, if you watch my batting practice, but they played yep. it safe. So you can't really afford to do that unless you want to fall out of the race this year. Here's my last question. And I don't know how to analyze this one, but I've been in Houston for nearly 10 years before AJ Hinge came. That's a they long were time. A bad- it's a long time. I know it, it's crazy that it, it's almost it'll be it'll be uh, the, the day of LeBron's decision 10 years ago was the day I actually arrived. So I'll always have that as a marker day, for me. It's the day you took your talents to H-Town. It's the day I took my talents to H-Town. Yeah. Uh, a quick story. I drove with my mom two and a half days from Connecticut to uh, to Houston. And so what I you know, I drove, I think, most of that. And uh, so we would always be listening to, to sports because I always feel like the driver should control I'm what sure you're listening loved to. That. I'm sure she did. And like, and I think like a day into the trip, she was like, my mom's Russian, by the way. She's like, who is this LeBron? I keep hearing about this LeBron. Who is this LeBron? Because like you think about it, like that week is July. It's like all anybody's talking about. It's the only topic. It's LeBron James. Uh, but anyway, I've been here for nearly 10 years. And I tell all that to tell you. Before the Astros got A.J. Hinch, uh, they were awful. Now, a lot of that's talent-based, but they got A.J. Hinch. He became the manager in 2015. They instantly made the playoffs and obviously had a lot of success in those intervening years. Now, as we know, there is a new manager. I don't, you know, the value of the baseball manager is a very weird thing to analyze in 2020 because unlike basketball and football, we're not having conversations like, hey, what is Dusty Baker's defensive strategy or offensive strategy? Because guess what? There is none. Like, that's not the way this thing works. Um, But how effective is Dusty as a manager compared to A.J. Hinch? They're two different human beings. I'm sure Dusty, while he appreciates analytics and seems like a forward-thinking guy, I'm guessing is a little bit more old school than A.J. Hinch was. And I'm just wondering how Dusty's going to be as a manager. Like, do we hear any stories? It's a weird season when it comes to media reporting for, for obvious reasons, but there's a new manager, and I'm curious to see how that plays out. Yeah, me too. I, I don't know. <laughs> um, I will. I would point out that um, because the rest of the coaching staff is the same, um, Brent Strom is still the pitching coach, Joe Espada is still the bench coach, that there might be more similarities in um, strategy and how player specific individual players are handled. Um, than you would think just because of that institutional knowledge being carried over. Yeah, I think that's totally fair. And I'm wondering, especially, you know, the first week or two of the season, 
even though you're starting out, again, each game is worth 2.7 times more. Your starting pitchers probably aren't going to be ready to go six and seven innings. What does a Dusty Be- what does a Dusty Baker managed game look like? Right. Yeah, I, I don't. I am really curious to see as well. I've never. Um, I don't think I've even covered Dusty as an opponent, like covering the team he was playing against. Like, yes, maybe the three games and when he was the Nationals manager in 2017 and that Minute Maid, but. I don't have I, I've obviously watched him for years from afar, but I he's also evolved over the years. And I, I don't I think he's he's definitely on the older school side, but he's I think he gets a little too much flack for some things he thought in 2003 that he's evolved on. Right. Like, I think <laughs> yeah. I think people do evolve. And I think um, I'm just really curious to see see how how he is. Do you get the sense that Dusty's going to. Going to give some quotes here during this regular season, hopefully, that I, I, I think he will provide some some talking points for us. That That's my sense right now. Yeah, I hope so. He's he's a pretty outspoken guy, as everyone knows. So um, I hope so. Last thing I want to end on a rant. Am I the only one, Jake? I hate Bobby Bonilla Day. I, I just I am so annoyed by how July 1st on Twitter, people are obsessed with the Mets giving Bobby Bonilla one point one nine million dollars. It's just like I don't even know if he made a good financial decision or not, because some people are saying he should have taken the five million bucks uh, back in. What was it? Uh, 2000 or so. Yeah, it was 2000 when they bought him out for the extra five point nine million. Like I, I just like all these people are acting like Bobby Bonilla is this like financial genius. And there's something about it that just annoys me. Like he was an underachieving player. Uh, I, I I am not into this Bonilla day. I don't care that he gets paid $1.19 million. I'm sure there are other financial arrangements like this in sports where guys are getting paid some kind of check every single year, but nobody reports it other than Bobby freaking Bonilla. Yeah, I mean, there's other ones in baseball that get overshadowed, right? It's, it, is, yes. it is weird how he's become the one that we talk about every year, and I kind of feel bad for him because, I mean, obviously he has all this money. That's great, but like you know, our generation of people who follow baseball <laughs> know him from this when he was actually like a six-time all-star world series champion, three-time silver slugger. Like he was a good player, 30, 30 war in his career. Like, um, but you would never know that by the discourse around his career. Cause it's all about the contract. Okay. You're right. Bonia was a good player before, you know, he came to the best where I thought he underachieved. He was a good pirate. But- he was a good pirate. Yes, I think it's the best way to put it. And he had an absolutely very, very respectable, good career. Make no mistake about it. But the other thing, Jake, this thing's not going to end. He's getting paid through through 2035. I'm going to have to deal with this every year for the next 15 years. It's not going away. What if, they're gonna con- what if you stay off Twitter to- on July 1st every year? I guess that has to be the move. I, I, I just, it's like these Darren Revelt uh, types. He's got like 80 tweets ready to go on Bobby Bonilla Day. And I'm like, is this really that big of a deal? I guess this year there's not really that much going on. But I don't know. I, I just, I am anti Bobby Bonilla Day. I hate it. I don't disagree with you. Um, but I, I do think you should take a, a Twitter break on July 1st, 2021. That's my advice. That's probably Put the best Put it in your calendar approach. now. 
<laughs> I, I like it. Yes, yes. <laughs> put it put it in the calendar right now, along with my airline uh, trips that I have to take by next year because all, all my canceled flights that I got to figure out in the uh, next yeah, with, ten months. I'm with you on that one. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I think yeah, I think I think a lot of people have that situation going on. We'll wrap it up here again. Uh, we'll be uh, with you obviously uh, twice uh, per week, and summer camp, I guess, is what baseball is officially calling it to sponsor it, uh, is beginning here on Friday as the Astros get set along with 29 other Major League Baseball teams for hopefully this 2020 regular season. He's Jay Kaplan. I'm Mike Meltzer. This has been the latest episode of the Crawford Talks, an Astros podcast brought to you by The Athletic. <laughs>